Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. Hello and welcome to the following on podcast. I'm John Norman and today bringing you a special feature we did during the interval in England's 66-run defeat to India in the first one-day international. Jarrah Kimber joined by the England international Kate Cross to discuss the rise of the women's game, how it's changed over the years and really how it compares in both England and Australia. For more content like this, make sure you subscribe to the following on podcast available now via the free TalkSport app. Or wherever you get your podcasts. But for now, let's bring you following on with Jarrah Kimber and the England international K-Cross. I've got an international cricketer with me, K-Cross. You played this year against New Zealand. Took one for 40 in your last game. How'd you go? In that particular game? Yeah. Uh, yeah to be honest, I thought I had a decent series. When you <laughs> say I got one for 40, I don't think it sounds that great. But uh, to be honest, just pleased to be playing again. Um, we've obviously had quite a lean 12 months like a lot of international cricketers have, have had or not had um, so yeah it was just good to get out into a Covid free country and play some cricket uh, we, We're going to talk about uh, professional women's cricket which is actually something that I, um, I've been quite obsessed with over the last couple of years because it's changed so much um, as much as anything but I'm going to give you a slight history lesson and I ran this for you before play so I know you don't know much about this. In 1890 so you were only about 15 at the time <laughs> The original English Lady Cricketers was a cricket league in England where there were two teams that were playing. They played for crowds of between fifteen and 20,000 people at times, which is incredible. Uh, and they, they were... Uh, it, the ad in the paper to get them to play, you're like this, says, uh, the women need to be of good address and appearance, respectable, strong, active, not under five foot six in height and not over 22 years in age. It's funny because my ECB contract says that. <laughs> And what the, br- the brilliant thing is, it also at no uh, stage in this ad mentions at all uh, that they need to be any good at cricket or even interested in cricket. So it sounds like uh, it was a very popular tournament for a very small period of time. So that was 1890. 
And then the next time there were professional women cricketers uh, was, was your contract. So was that 2014? 2014, yeah. I think it was May of that year that we became professional, which was obviously a real landmark moment for the women's game. Um, yeah, and did not know that they were professional back in the 1890s. Didn't even know cricket existed back then, um, certainly for the women. But, um, yeah, it just goes to show, doesn't it? There's, there's a lot of history, and um, hopefully we're a big part of that history now. And maybe you never know people might be talking about us in 200 years time <laughs> well that's the thing with cricket you can always find some odd old historical fact uh when, when you talk about these things but i suppose uh, you started playing when you were still an amateur so did you start playing in 2013 was it uh so i made my debut in 2013 yeah the debut for england but i've been playing cricket all my life you know i'm product of having two older siblings and being told what to do and what not to do in the garden um and i've got an older brother that batted and batted and batted all summer and i had to bowl at him so that's how i learned my my craft um a lot like a lot of my generation really you know just being in the back garden and then going down to your local cricket club um but yeah i i think i think i made my lancashire debut when i was 13 for the senior team which goes to show how kind of amateur it was back then i wasn't that good so yeah that's <laughs> how amateur it was and you know at that at that point how when you say it was that amateur, what was the difference between you know 2013 and 2014? What was the what was the huge change that you guys saw? It was just just the investment that we got from the ECB. You know, we got um, we got a salary, which was the first time ever that well, other than the 1800s, <laughs> that that women were being paid to play cricket, and it meant that we could focus purely on cricket. Um, it probably wasn't for another two or three years that we could fully focus and be you know full what i would call full-time professional we still kind of subsidized our wage by working with chance to shine uh, which is a big charity linked to the ecb and we go into schools and, and coach and try and give a bit back really um but yeah there was i think one of the biggest differences that i saw was the expectation level that came with being a professional cricketer and suddenly the press rightly gave us more scrutiny and um more coverage which is what we want um but with that there was this expectation that we were going to win all our games and we actually lost a test match to india that summer and it was a big talking point oh it might have been t 2015 we played that that test match actually but um yeah it was just kind of that scrutiny that came with the press that was a uh, one of the biggest changes as well i remember in 2016 i think mark robinson was the coach at the time uh you lost the was it world cup final against west indies or was it semi-final i'm trying to remember i know i was at the game but i can't remember which one it was. i think it was the semi-final i think we should yeah. have made it to the final and we we kind of lost that game and that was yeah that was i wasn't there actually that was in india yeah yeah i remember that was um a big there was a big dressing room chat at the end of that and it was kind of that point where things needed to change and that was where Mark Robinson was absolutely fantastic for our setup because he'd come from the professional men's game um, and was able to implement a lot of the things that happen and have happened for years in the men's game into the women's game which is kind of what we lacked we were that professional status without the real professional environment yeah, I think that was, uh, as someone who was following it from the outside, that was the first time that it seemed there was a real accountability beforehand. It was, uh, everyone f felt so amateur and they would disappear, you know, off into their jobs. And uh, that was the point where everyone was like, no, okay, you are being paid and you are at this level. Now, the, the, when, we, when we talk about professional, we're not saying that suddenly 200 women were given professional contracts. It was a small group, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was 18 initially, um, which kind of has fluctuated over the years. So I think last year we might have had 21 contracted. This year with the regional contracts coming in, uh, there's 40 new professional domestic players um, that are contracted and professional cricketers. So that's, I think, then 
our, our contracts are getting renewed in about a month's time, actually. So I don't know the numbers, but I think it'll be closer to 15 or 16 now that would be your central contracted England players. And uh, following that, Australia did a similar thing. And then there was, there was a few other uh, things that happened around uh, the women's game. The uh, Indian women started getting a lot more jobs by being cricketers, which are jobs that used to go to the men's cricketers. They used to have jobs with the railways and, and with places like that. The Sri Lankan team took a huge jump up. They went from nowhere. I think they, they beat England in one of the World Cups there. Um, and their players were with the armed forces. And now it's got to such a point where the Brazilian women's team are the first team to be professional before the men. Uh, the Thai um, players, I'm pretty sure they have some professional players on their books. So women's cricket has gone from in, in the last eight years from almost having no professionals all, all the way through to places as, as random as Thailand and Brazil having it. So it's, it's a huge pump of money that's come in, even if it's still not as many women as we'd like covered. Yeah, and rightly so. I mean, obviously, I'm going to say that I'm involved in it. but um, You would like more money, is what you say. <laughs> I'd like more female professional cricketers, <laughs> oh, is okay. what I'm saying. <laughs> Don't put words in my mouth, Jared. Um, but no, I think we're in a, a real weird transition phase where not everyone is fully professional. Um, and the, the level of professionalism that we've got and the investment that we've got varies from country to country. So I think you're kind of seeing a real jump from each nation. Um, there's no real argument that Australia kind of lead in the pack with that and we've we've kind of always said we're maybe four or five years behind them in terms of how they've professionalized their domestic structure um, obviously we saw with the um, at the back end of last year that the ECB have, have committed to um, contracting some of our domestic girls as well um, but yeah I think that for me now you've got another five years of a real transition period where you're going to get more investment which needs to happen more global tournaments um you know the way that we have our ashes series i think is a real positive step forward and i think a lot of other nations should take that on whether they will do i don't know but for anyone that doesn't know we play three one day as a test match and three t20s and it's a point system and you get an overall winner at the end of that um so yeah our ashes is a little bit different but i think that's a, just a, a really good way of keeping people involved throughout a series and hopefully like i said if more nations could jump on the back of that and use that system i think it'd be quite positive and so let's talk about the Australian women's system. So they have gone, uh, we're talking about the Indian uh, men's team, but the Australian women are probably even more dominant now than the, the Indian men have been over the last few years and maybe even will be. Uh, and the big change really comes from, it's not, it's not the professionalism in the international level, which is really handy. It's the professionalism for the domestic level. And with the, the implementation of the Women's Big Bash, you suddenly had you know, uh, young girls coming through at 14, 15, 16, seeing it as a profession, being, uh, even if it was only a part-time wage, because a lot of their Women's Big Bash players in Australia, uh, a lot of them seem to work in, uh, with car parts. I don't know why so many Australian domestic women work in car parts. You, Sammy you Joe thinking, Johnson? I was going to say, Sammy Joe Johnson, you're thinking of her, aren't you? I looked at Jess Cameron as well also works with car parts so I'm, I'm just saying there's a, there's a lot of part time work there but the difference is that's a huge step up from before where you especially if you think about the England women you had professional and then you had amateur still it's very hard to break into a professional setup if you're going up against a woman who is spending 40 hours a week making herself the best athlete you can be and you're working in a bank and going to the gym a couple of hours a night yeah arguably if you're in that um, that phase of being a cricket where you're not quite professional but you you're trying to be professional you've got to work twice as hard as the person that is getting paid to do the job you want to do so a bit of a catch-22 yeah but um yeah I think the biggest thing for the, the Aussies like I said they probably started that investment a, a few years prior to what we did in terms of the domestic structure I think like you said we kind of turned professional around the same era um 
but I think what we found difficult over here is that naturally the way that the, you've got your states over in Australia, it naturally lends itself to being able to have those teams, whereas we've had... It's the same with the men's structure, I think. The fact that there's 30-odd um, county systems who are trying to survive in this game, and then you take away the amount of females that play cricket. You know, we naturally have less female cricketers involved in the game than the men do. That's quite a hard structure to do. So I think the ECB, the way they've done our new domestic structure is brilliant. I think it feeds into the 100 teams as well, which is going to be really important for us as players. Um, but, I mean, I've completely forgotten the question that, that you asked <laughs> me then. I've just well, gone off on a tangent, sorry. No, no, I, I, mean, I mean, what we're talking about there is the, the, what the, the w- women's big bash has six teams. Sorry, eight teams, isn't it? Uh, it has it city-based. It's easier to do. Where you've still got um, you've still got really strong women's minor county sides over here. Like it's it's a really you know it's a it's a much more spread out system than you have in Australia. But the difference was in Australia they weren't they weren't just seeing themselves as competing against England or the Indian women. They were seeing themselves as competing events against Aussie Aussie rules football, which had a, a professional competition coming in. Even someone like Elise Perry, I think Australia was very lucky to keep her as a cricketer because she was arguably as good at football. She kicked the goal of a, of a World Cup final. You've got Susie Bates in New Zealand who represents the New Zealand uh, women's basketball team. She could have easily gone to the WNBA in another era. Uh, you, you're, not, you're, keeping, you're really competing with the, best, the other sports for the best athletes. And I think that's what you want to see in the UK, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we quite quickly when we signed our ECB contracts, we were told we weren't playing any other sports. I think naturally, from an injury point of view, you're going to do that. But um, you were just about to go to Wimbledon too, weren't you? It was netball for me. Loved my <laughs> netball. Um, no, never, never tennis. I'm absolutely wretched at tennis. Um, but yeah, I think what what you were talking about. I mean, I went over and played in the WNCL in Australia, which for anyone that doesn't know is the 50 over domestic competition over there, and that was probably four or five years ago. Um, and another big thing that happened with um, Australia, which you'll be able to talk about in more detail than me, but the, the MOU that happened with the Australian men and the Australian women, and there was a real push on the men's side to support the women and to, I talk about this a lot, but having the opportunities that men have, not I'm not talking about wage or money or anything here, but the opportunities that men get within cricket is far greater than the, the ones that the women got, whether that was professional or non-professional. Um, and so I went over there and it was a case of I wasn't paid as a, an overseas amateur at that point but I was getting uh, match fees and it was the same as what uh, Glenn Maxwell might get if he played uh, for Victoria for example Um, so there was just those subtle differences that came in that was a real uh, probably the backbone of how how the women's game then became more supported Um, and you'll be able to go through the dates and stuff of when that kind of happened but that kind of felt like the the slingshot almost of then the success of the Australian women's team that we see now. Yeah, that was 2017, and it was it was really interesting at times. The because there was going to be there was a strike and there was all these uh, talks. There was actually the, the uh, cricket Australia tried to split up uh, the men and the women to tr- sort of play them off against each other a little bit. And then there was there was a story about maternity rights and all these things that you don't think about. Um, there's, some, uh, there's a really good book uh, called uh, The Fire Burns Blue about the Indian women's team that came out a couple of years ago, and it talks about the sorts of things that the Indian women. Uh, cricketers had to go through without any, uh, you know, uh, proper professional structure. Like one woman uh, ha- got pregnant and put on 20 kilograms uh, during the pregnancy, but didn't have access to a gym because the gym was shut when she was free at the, at the local ground and didn't have access to a dietitian because he only worked with the men's team. Little things like that. And that's what, that was one of the things that the Australian men and women's cricketers sort of said, this, this is not how a normal workplace should go. It, it, it's really quite interesting. 
when we talk about amateurs, I, I just want to get back to the sort of schedules that a, an amateur or even, even a part-time uh, woman uh, cricketer would have to do at the sort of domestic level. There's a woman in India called Niha Tanwa, and it's in that same book I was talking about. She wakes up at 4.30 in the morning to cook breakfast and lunch for her family for the day. She then has to go off to work in Delhi. Then from there, she has to go to training in the afternoon. She gets back home at 8.30 p.m. That's uh, what she has to do to be a part-time cricketer. Those, those, it's still not, you know, and, and we were talking about before, Sammy Joe Johnson and Jess Cameron, they still have jobs. Alex Hartley uh, was looking at getting a job recently. Was, was pizza delivery driver, I think she told me at one stage she was looking at. <laughs> Might have been pulling my leg. But... But essentially, you know, it, it is still tough uh, at the semi-professional level for those women coming through, the domestic women, even when they have contracts, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And th- as an athlete, you want to dedicate your time to being an athlete. Um, yeah, you wouldn't... It's funny, you wouldn't expect someone like a Ben Stokes to be working from 9 till 12, then going, doing his training sessions and fitting his gym and going picking the kids up from school. So it's hard to expect women to do that as well and create the standard that we expect from professional sport um but that's where these contracts are are brilliant and that's where you just kind of want to push the global tournaments to allow the teams like thailand who did come in in the the t20 world cup that we had last year and um they they perform well for a team that hasn't been professional that long if they are fully professional if you can deem them that um and that was that was great for us to see as as an england team to see that that kind of structure is happening around the world as well you said you started when you were 13. Quick answer on this. Are you, you know, as a 13-year-old, and now you're obviously just 15 now, um, you know, looking back, can you believe the difference in women's cricket? No, absolutely not. And I probably can't keep this as short as you want it to be. But when I was a kid, females weren't professional cricketers. You know, I went to uni, I went to school, I worked hard, and I tried to balance cricket because it was just my passion. I loved playing it. Um, I was so lucky and so fortunate that I came out of university and the contracts became available. Um, but then you've got the likes of a Sophie Eccleston who's come out of school and signed a pro- first professional contract. So girls aren't... Uh, you're going to see a generation of girls now who can commit to it completely. And those domestic um, contracts that we spoke about, like an Alex Hartley who's lost her England contract, can then drip feed back into the domestic uh, system and also be a role model for younger girls who aren't quite there yet. You've been listening to a chat between Jarrah Kimber and the England international Kate Cross discussing the rise of the women's game and how it's changed over the years. If you missed any of the show, you can listen back on the free TalkSport app, available on all good app providers. But a reminder, we will be back on Friday morning for live and exclusive ball-by-ball commentary of the second ODI between India and England here on TalkSport 2 on air at half past seven and uh, an 8am start in terms of play. You've been listening to the following on podcast. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.